3: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. People
0: attention. calling to city. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know It's still a little hard for me to hear Please take it slow Welcome to Starship Sofa Part of the District of Wonders network Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders Come and find yours I'm tuning transmissions I'm waiting to be found I'm building rockets
4: This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody welcome, hello and welcome to Show five hundred and eighteen. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Well I've full of cold. Yeah. so <laughs> oh, like a big baby. Chuck me out to bed. Oh, eee yeah, man I feel battered. But I've took my quarter of (laughs) tablets to get through this show, so hanging on there. (laughs) So today we have the main fiction is Spider Robinson, no doubt. You don't know my heart. And it's narrated by Veronica Guguet. Got a little bit of a house tidying to mention first before we get into Spider's story. Lots going on. The Silverberg is now up and running on... Patreon and also the full. I've just uploaded it now. The full audio book as well for ten pound and up. Patreons, so it's starting to go. We we kicked off on the first of January, which was that Monday, and we're away up up and running. And I'm actually even getting the files in for the next audio book that's coming in, which will probably be the Michael Moorcock one. So if you want to pop, you know, support with, that would be fantastic. $5 a month gets you the cereal, and we've got Mark, who's the host there, and it's just fabulous, to be quite honest. Or if you want to kind of just grab it all now, and you can't wait till next week, you're on the $10 and up over. So all that's going on over there. We have, as I mentioned last week, and I've, had, I've, I've changed it a little bit, and we're going to do, our, on this Friday coming, which I think is the 5th, is Starship Echoes nearly said it there? Starship Sofa Echoes. So that is starting on Friday. Now, I've had a little think since last week. And well, lying in bed wide awake, I cannot sleep with this bloody (laughs) cold. So, what I'm gonna intend to do is, and I've changed it all, I had it set because I've recorded a few shows, I had it set to come out each week. Well, I've changed that, and I'm thinking that that might be a lot of work for me to be quite honest, but it might get a little bit messy in the feed. And you know, we'll just see anyway. So, what I've decided is it will come out the first week of every month. Starship so far you see I did it there. Starship Echoes. And I've changed it all over. So the first one will come out this week on or this Friday, a couple of days' time, and then it'll be a month time. Now I've went back a couple and I, to be quite honest. I'm not I'm not firing all cylinders and I kinda of, I might get round to it. There might be times in certain shows where I'll say, Join us next week. Just ignore it, honestly. I'm <laughs> I'm a miserable puppy at the moment, and I just—I've done a couple, and I've got oh, head thumping to be quite honest. I can't be bothered to do it. So if it's sometime in May, and I say Enjoy me next week, you know, just think—remember this time in January because this co I, I don't think it's flu. I think I've just got, you know, but obviously it's man flu and it's a, oh, it's a severe case of it. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't think I'm going to, that bad. My mother's had it, mind you. Oh, they've been shocking with it. So anyway, so that's one part there. Today is Wednesday. Tomorrow which will be the 4th, if you are on Patreon or want to just pop over, even start off as a dollar, you can listen to, if you wanted to, Amy H. Sturgis live. I'm going to interview Amy tomorrow. I'm having a little test with her today. And we're going to get together. It's in Discord. And you can, you can do voice and text and everything like that as well. So if you are on Patreon and you want to kind of ask her a question, write it down and we'll read it out or pop into the live chat and you'll be able to hear it and then I can kind of click it open and you can have a little chat with Amy and ask her some questions. So Amy, I like you Amy's Amy's 100. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is well, that will go because I wanted to just do a few things you know, for supporters that will go in the Patreon feed as well. So if you ever want to listen to that, That will be where you find it as well. Is there anything else before we get into Spider? Ah, one last thing. Have a blast in 2018. I hope all your dreams and your joys and your thoughts come to fruition. You know what I mean? Just let's just jump into 2018 and just enjoy it. So we'll get into the main fiction. Like I say, it is You Don't Know My Heart by Spider Robinson. And it's taken from Spider's collection. It's like a new collection called My Favourite Shorts. And I'll just read out the blurb on it. An outstanding collection of short works and four songs by one of science fiction's most beloved storytellers. Well, it's a visit from what may be one's future self, a bar where a married couple find both pain and hope, a mighty warlock who meets his match. John Lennon brought back from the dead an alien in human disguise Spider's humour surprises and deep humanity shine through new introduction by the author and a meeting with Robert and Ginny Heinlein as well so I'll put a link on to that on like, say, the introduction as well with Spider's writing does just it's another level do you know what I mean and this is just you know you just kind of you, you wander along as well and again it's just that I seem to be getting into that at the moment, you know, just teasing, just tantalising. Narration today, like I say, is by Veronica Gaga. Veronica Gaguer is a storyteller of the spoken and written word, an audiobook narrator and science fiction author. She is the voice producer and one of four co-authors of the Secret World Chronicles podcast novel series. She narrates across genres, but her favourites are science fiction and fantasy. When she's not been behind a microphone, she's likely clutching a cup of coffee and catching up with her pop culture addictions. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present...
2: Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
5: You Don't Know My Heart Written by Spider Robinson I was on stage at Slim's halfway through my last set, when I saw the two hitters come in. It wasn't hard to spot them, even in the poor light. They were both way too straight for Slim's Elite Café. They were pretending to be a leather couple, even holding hands. But I didn't buy it, and doubted many others would. No gunfighter mustaches, no visible piercings, no jewelry— the leather was brand new, the tats were fake, and the stubble on their skulls and faces was two days old, tops. Either of them alone might have been exploring the darker corners of his sexuality on vacation, a Key West cliché. Together, though, the only use they'd have for a queer was as a punching bag. They were not at all uneasy in a place where their kind was doubly outnumbered, about two dykes like me to every fag, a normal night. So I assumed they were armed. I didn't panic. I know a way to get from the stage of Slim's to elsewhere faster than most people can react. And since I've never had to use it, I'm pretty sure it will work. I kept playing without missing a beat. Okay, I fluffed a guitar fill, but it wasn't a train wreck. An old Janice Ian song. She goes over well at Slim's, and I can sing in her key. All the broken promises, all the shattered dreams, all this aching loneliness will finally be set free. I have waited for so long to remember what it's like. To feel somebody's arms around my life. After a minute or so, my adrenaline level dropped back to about performance normal. I couldn't decide whether they were good guys or bad guys, but either way they didn't seem to be looking for me, so the question held little urgency. It was hard to tell who they were after... The whole room was basically a big poorly lit box of suspicious characters, flight risks, and hopeful victims. Disasters looking for the spot marked X. Or, of course, I could be mistaken. The pair could be off duty, their real assignment elsewhere. Or, just possibly, they might be two men in their early thirties who'd suddenly realized they were leather boys and by great fortune had met out on the street five minutes ago. They had been chatting quietly together since they'd come in, ignoring those around them and, far more unforgivably, my music. But when I finished the song, the applause caused one of them, the uglier of the two, to glance up at the stage and see me. One look was all he felt he needed. Dyke, said his face, and he looked away, subtracting me from his landscape. No, they weren't novice leather boys, or even postulants. Well, when someone insults my sexuality while I'm on stage, out loud or silently, I have a stock response. I sing... You Don't Know My Heart. It's another Janice Ian song, actually. One of the best songs I know about being gay, because there isn't a drop of anger in it anywhere that I can see. Just... sadness. It sums up everything I've always wanted to say to dyke-hasslers and queer bashers and minority abusers of all stripes. All they really deserve to know. And all they should need to know without the rage that always makes me choke if I do try and talk to them and keeps them from listening if I succeed. We learn to stand in the shadows Watch the way the wind blows Thinkin' no one knows We're one of a kind Shy glances at the neighboring team Romance is a dangerous dream Never know if they'll laugh or scream Living on a fault line Will you, won't you be mine? Hoping it will change in time one of the two hitters got up to go to the can, leaving his friend at the table. To get there, he had to pass in front of the stage. I caught his eye and pointedly aimed the chorus of the song at him as he approached, not quite pointing to him and singing straight at him, but almost. And if people say we chose this way to set ourselves apart, I say you don't know my heart. You don't know my heart. He got the message, as much of it as would penetrate, grimaced at me and glanced away. You don't know my heart. You don't know my heart. It was when he glanced away that he suddenly acquired his target. I saw his face change, followed his gaze, and realized they were after Dora something or other. It seemed ridiculous. Who sends a pair of pros... After a drag queen. There are people in Key West who were born in Key West, but statistically you're unlikely to meet one unless you make an effort. It's a place most people pass through, and others end up. The lucky ones take a moment to recover, then regroup, make a plan, and go somewhere else. Others sit for a long or a short time on the bottom, half concealed in the ooze, until one vagrant current or another stirs them up and carries them back north into the stream of life. And some sink into the mud for keeps, and begin growing barnacles and coral deposits of their own. Key West is Ennsville. There's just no further to run. You have to stop— steal a boat, or start swimming. You might think a town full of losers, runaways, fugitives, and failures would have a high crime rate, but in fact there's almost none. Everyone seems to want to keep their heads down and chill. In many cases, an over lifestyle was why they had to leave America and come here in the first place. There is zero organized crime— "'except for a municipal government. "'Oh, I'm sure all the big chain hotels have their liquor, linen, and garbage needs "'dealt with by the right firms out of Miami. "'Beyond that, there simply isn't anything on the rock to interest the mob. "'It's a beehive of small-time tourist hustles, "'hard to keep track of and beneath their dignity to tax.' Circuit hookers can't compete with the constantly changing parade of semi-pros, beginners, stupefied co-eds, and reckless secretaries on vacation. Consequently, the gangsters have always treated the place as a neutral zone. No family claims it, and if you see somebody with bodyguards, you know he must be a civilian. In a town full of illegal immigrants and bail jumpers, KWPD has fired more cops than it has shots. It's a wonderful place to hide. That's why most of us are there. Including, apparently, Dora What's-Her-Name. What I wanted to do was catch Dora's eye, hold it long enough to engage his attention, then gesture with my eyes and eyebrows toward the hitter's. It would, of course, be good to do this without letting the hitters catch me at it. Now was the time, then, with one of them in the can. But the remaining one happened to be the last folk music fan left outside Key West and was watching me perform. I had a rush of brains to the head and began singing You Don't Know My Heart directly to him, just as I had to his partner a moment ago. Tried to fit, I tried to blend. We learn young to pretend. Cause if they knew the world would end. Frightened of my family. Where is everyone like me? When will I be free? Sure enough, the penny dropped. He started hearing the words. He too grimaced in disgust. A tragic waste of pussy. And looked away. Moments later, I had eye contact with Dora. We didn't know each other very well, and had never shared so much as a conversation. We played in different leagues, so he wasted several long seconds being surprised and puzzled. Fortunately, disgust outlasts confusion. By the time hitter number two got over being grossed out and looked back my way, Dora was discreetly clocking the guy out of the corner of his eye. Unless specifically asked otherwise, I usually refer to drag queens as she... I like to think it's more from politeness than political correctness. But every so often, you meet one like Dora, who's so hopeless at it that he is the only pronoun you can bring yourself to use. I'd never quite been able to pin down what it was he got wrong. He didn't have broad shoulders, muscular arms, thick wrists, deep voice, heavy beard, or prominent Adam's apple— He didn't totter on heels or sit with his legs open. His face was kind of cute, in the right light, and he didn't overdo the makeup or the camp more than a drag queen is supposed to. Yet, somehow, the overall effect was of a female impersonator impersonator. Which was fine with me. I have no business criticizing anybody else's act. I sing folk. We moved in different circles, was all. At first, I think Dora thought I was pointing out the leather boy as someone he might want to fan with his false eyelashes, and if so, he must have thought I was nuts. Nearly at once, though, I saw him pick up on the fact that the guy was a phony, one with hard muscles and empty eyes. He glanced my way with one eyebrow raised, nodded his thanks, and went back to discreetly studying his watcher. Hitter number one got back to the table and rejoined his partner just as I was finishing the song. Because I was looking for it, I noticed that beneath his leather pants, his right ankle was thicker on the outside than his left. That's where a right-handed man will hide a gun. So, not hitters, but shooters. There followed an amusing charade in which the shooters tried to discuss Dora without being caught at it, and Dora pretended not to clock the whole thing. It was a lot like the mating dances going on all around the room, except that this one, I was pretty sure, was intended to end with a literal bang. Dora looked unconcerned, but I didn't see how he was going to get out of it. His pursuers looked fit enough to run up the side of Martello Tower. No way he was going to outrun them. Not in those heels. So I flanged my guitar up a couple of notches, called out, Anybody feel like dancing? And launched into Jimmy Buffett's Fins. Everybody in Key West knows every song Jimmy Buffett ever wrote. It's one of the few requirements of residence. There are at least a dozen guaranteed to make everyone in the joint pause in their seductions long enough to sing along. But fins is certain to get them on their feet, the way I play it anyway. It's about being hit on in bars. Fins to the left, fins to the right, and you're the only bait in town. So the lyrics tend to strike a certain chord, in Predator and Prey alike and the guitar lick would make a preacher dance the dirty boogie. Halfway into it, there was a roar of recognition and approval, and by the time I started the first verse, half the place was dancing, and the other half was trying to find room to. I lost track of Dora in the crowd at once, but I could make out the two shooters, trying to force their way across the room to him. They were better than average at it, spreading out just enough to block his escape path as they came. I'd just finished the first verse. As I went into my guitar solo, I stepped away from the mic and began doing a Chuck Berry strut back and forth across the stage. Bingo! An instant line dance organized itself out there on the floor and started to conga back and forth. By the time Frick and Frack managed to work their way through that... Dora was long gone. They'd stood where they'd last seen her, blank-faced as mannequins, and each turned in place five times before they gave up. I finished the song, got a big round of applause, and, since I had everyone on their feet, went into a slow dance song, a ballad by Woody Smith called Afterglow. Tending detention by conscious intent, declining declension, disdaining dissent. Into the dementia dimension were sent. We are our content. And we are content. The half of the crowd that wasn't doing that well tonight sat down, and the rest went into their clinches. I saw the shooter's eyes meet, saw them both consider and reject the idea of slow dancing together for the sake of their cover. They left together, and I finished my set feeling the warm glow of the Samaritan who has managed to get away with it. I glowed too soon. As I stepped out the back door of Slim's Elite to walk home a little after two, I heard someone nearby drive a nail deep into hardwood with a single blow. I was turning to yank the sticky door shut behind me at the time, so I even saw the nail appear. A shiny circle in the door jamb beside me, "'where no nail belonged and no nail had been a moment before. "'By the time my forebrain had worked out "'that the nail was the ass end of a silenced bullet, "'I was already back inside the club, running like hell. "'Ever try and run carrying a guitar case? "'Fortunately, I gig with one of those indestructible Yamahas. "'I tossed it case and all behind the bar as I went past "'and kept on running.' As I burst out the front door onto the deserted, poorly-lit street, Dora pulled up in front of me on a moped. I skidded to a halt. The sight was surreal and silly enough to start me wondering if all of this might not be a bad dream I was having. "'Get on,' he said, gesturing urgently. "'Get on!' I stood there, trying to get my breath, and wondering how Dora knew I needed a ride just then. "'Pat, come on!' An angry mosquito parted my hair. Behind me, someone snapped a piece of wood with a sound like a muffled gunshot. "'No?' "'Just backwards. That had been a muffled gunshot, no louder than a snapping yardstick.' That explained why I was in mid-air, in forward motion, falling toward the back of Dora's moped. If a man had landed there, that hard, he'd have gelded himself. It wasn't much more fun for me, and as I drew breath to yell, Dora peeled out. Fast. Somehow his moped had the power of a real motorcycle. Without the thunder. I ended up hanging onto his fake boobs for dear life. There was one last ruler snap behind us, without Mosquito this time, and then we were too far away to sweat small arms fire. I shifted my grip down to Dora's waist and began to relax slightly. Someone ripped my left earring out, and behind us, someone snapped a two-by-four. "'Jesus Christ!' I screamed. "'Rifle fire!' Dora began to deke sharply from side to side. Since he did it randomly to surprise the shooter, he kept surprising me, too. But I managed to hang on. The sniper must have realized his chance for a headshot was gone and went for a tire. Thanks to the weaving, he blew the heel off my left shoe instead, and for the next ten or twenty busy seconds, I thought he'd shot me in the foot. I clutched Dora hard enough for a Heimlich, and preposterously he yelled, "'Hang on!' and hung a most unexpected sharp right turn into a narrow driveway. We passed between two sparsely lit houses in a controlled skid. I told myself it was controlled. heeled so far over to our right that visually it was remarkably like part of the famous scene at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey, lights streaking past us above and below." Nearly at once, it gave way to the end of the original Star Wars, a smash cut montage of pitch dark backyard obstacle course of crap, oncoming stone wall, broken bench reconsidered as ramp, mid air like Elliot and E.T., narrowly missed pool, ass kicker landing, many naked people in great dismay, demolished flower bed, long narrow walkway between houses like Luke's final run at the Death Star chain-link fence, providentially open gate, sharp left onto a deserted street where no one seemed to be firing any rifles with or without hellish accuracy, fade to black. roll credits. Dora pulled a pair of my pants up over his own red silk G-string and said, "To be honest, I'm kind of surprised." I snorted to be understated, I'm kind of mind-fucked. What exactly was it that surprised you? The gunfire? Our surviving it? How many of the people at that orgy looked good naked? I tossed him a balled-up pair of socks. We were at my place. He'd wrecked his frock driving a moped like Jackie Chan. He was way too tall. And too slim-waisted, damn him. To fit into any of my jeans, but I'd found a baggy pair of painter pants around that didn't look too ridiculous on him, and a maroon sweatshirt, and some one size fits none sandals. Half the people in Key West were dressed worse. He unrolled the socks and stared down at them. I'm kind of surprised you stuck your neck out for me in the first place. That's what I meant. I said nothing. I sat on the edge of my bed, put my left foot up on my knee, and checked the heel for signs of damage. The tingling had gone away by now. It looked okay. I put on my good sandals, dropped the ruined shoes in the trash, and tried a few careful steps. The heel felt a little tender, but not enough to make me limp. We barely know each other, Pat, We move in different circles. We play on different teams. But you took a risk for me. You returned the favor, I said, and even to me my voice sounded brusque. He nodded. Okay, I guess it's none of my business. It's just that, well, I know a lot of dykes don't have much use for drag queens— We must make you feel a little like black people watching some clueless, happy white guy do a step-and-fetch-it routine in blackface. We revel in the very mannerisms and attitudes you're trying to get away from. I said some more nothing. Partly that was because he was right. I try to be polite to just about anybody, on principle. But drag queens test my principles even more than skinheads. They exaggerate the aspects of stereotypical femaleness I find most infuriatingly embarrassing and think it's screamingly funny. And, of course, the lipstick lesies hate us because we're so much better than they are at makeup. He was simply trying to be friendly, but even if he had just saved my life, I didn't want to be his friend. You don't know my heart. I said harshly, and heard myself sounding just like the kind of uptight, judgmental dyke I've always hated. His face went blank. It was several seconds before he spoke. "'You're absolutely right,' he conceded then. "'I have no business making presumptions. All I know about you in the world is that you sing and play guitar very well—' "'You hate the sight of car engines for some reason, and tonight you—' "'What did you say?' Somehow he knew which clause I meant. "'Don't sweat it. As phobias go, it's pretty tame. "'Once I happened to see you jump a foot in the air and then cross the street "'when someone popped the hood of his car as you were walking past.' And then another time, my friend Delilah was working on her old bomber, trying to get the timing right, and she said she asked you to just sit behind the wheel and rev it when she told you, and instead you turned white as a ghost and turned around and ran away. If I had to guess, I'd guess one of your parents was a mechanic, but I don't have to guess. Like you said, I don't know your heart, and nothing says I have to. That's right. God, would I ever say anything again that wasn't churlish? I just wondered why it made you stick your neck out for a stranger. That's all. Look, Dora, maybe sometime my heart'll make me feel like telling you why, I said. Okay? He held up his hands. Understood. His nails clashed with his with my sweatshirt. You haven't asked me why those two are after me. I appreciate that. I don't care why they're after you, I said. They're after me, too, now. That's all I care about at the moment. They're crazy enough to fire guns in Key West. Big guns right out in the street. And I've pissed them off. How you pissed them off doesn't interest me. I have to know who they are. She was frowning. I need to know right now, Dora. She looked stubborn. Why? I restrained the impulse to smack her one. Think a minute. Dangerous men are pissed at me. Pros. If they work for Charlie Pontevecchio up in Miami or for any other private citizen, whether or not his last name happens to end in a vowel, then there probably isn't a lot they can do to locate me until Slim's reopens at nine, giving me a whole... Jesus, six hours to disappear into thin air somehow? But if those two clowns are cops, any kind of cops at all, they're probably rousting Big Chaz out of bed right now. And tough as she is... She's got her license to think of. They could be here in half an hour. So which... I didn't have to finish the question. His expression answered for him. Shit. What kind of cops? Very expressive face. Oh, my God. Federal? He nodded. Yes, but... Wait! Wait! I'd be hard-pressed to say which was moving faster, me or my brain. I'm pretty sure it took less than a single minute before the carry-on bag I always keep half full under the bed was topped off with the few bits of this life I wasn't ready to abandon, and another fifteen seconds was plenty to reach the pantry, kick aside the small rug on the floor, and pull up the concealed trapdoor. I felt around the near edge for the little mag-light, found it, and damn near dropped it when I popped it out of its holder. "'What the hell are you doing?' asked Dora. "'In the military, they call it retiring to a previous prepared position,' I hesitated. "'You can follow if you want. There's room enough for someone your size.' She looked appalled. "'Under the house?' down there with the roaches and snakes and spiders and... Not on your life, girl. Forget it. I didn't have time to argue. I sat at the edge of the hole and let my feet and legs dangle down into the damp, dank darkness. Fine. Walk right out my front door whenever you feel ready to be shot. Don't bother closing it behind you. Of course, you may not make the door... Every room in this dump has a window. He shook his head. I'm not worried about them. And listen, you don't have to be either. Right, I said, and let myself down into the crawl space under the house. Damn, I thought. I'm going to miss that Yamaha. I just got the action right. Only a moron would attempt to flee Key West alone by car. There's exactly one road out of town, and a dozen spots from which it can be conveniently and discreetly monitored with binoculars or long-lens camera. Or sniper scope. A clay pigeon would have a much better chance. They move way faster than traffic heading up the Keys. So my plan was to head for the schooner, an open-air, thatched-roof blues bar right next to the Land's End marina. Its only neighbors are boat people, and its clientele aren't all fags and dykes, so it gets to stay open a little later than Slim's elite. I knew a Rasta pot dealer named Bad Death Johnson who would probably still be there, and would certainly be able to put me on a fast boat to west elsewhere without troubling the harbourmaster but before I'd gotten two blocks, I became aware I was being followed, so clumsily that I knew who it was. I could have outrun him. I sighed, found a dark place, and waited for Dora to catch up. When he did, I started to step out of the shadows and call to him, but I got distracted watching him. His walk was so distinctive that, even dressed in gender-neutral clothes, wearing sandals, I'd have recognized him by it, even in the poor light. You'd think a drag queen would be better at disguise, but apparently he just knew the one. He was past me by the time I finished that thought train, and I was going to step up behind him and call his name softly— But then I decided to hell with it and stayed where I was. He was just going to tell me again that I didn't have to be afraid of federal agents with clearance to kill. And tell me why he wasn't, which couldn't possibly be anything but moronic. But since Dora was heading toward the marina, now I couldn't anymore. It took me ten aggravated seconds to come up with a plan B... And another ten to persuade myself it had a chance of success that was good, even a few seconds less, and I'd have strolled blithely out there and collided with the two feds as they hurried by on cat feet for yet another ten seconds. I couldn't move, then I managed to take a deep breath, and that rebooted my system. Then there was another ten-second interlude of hard thought, at the end of which I went with plan C. I slipped from my place of concealment and began tailing the two fake leather boys as they tailed Dora. Why? Don't ask me. I don't know my own heart, I guess. God knows I was scared of those two. I'd been scared of people like them forever. The kind of scared where you don't have a roommate because then you won't have to explain why you wake up sobbing with terror a few nights a week. Those two weren't my particular personal nightmare, but they were, as the saying goes, close enough for folk music. Dylan once wrote I'll let you be in my dream if I can be in yours. They wanted to kill me for stumbling into theirs. They didn't seem to have their long guns with them this time, but I could make out two lumpy right ankles. Big sticks would have been more than I could cope with. And then there was the question of why they were after Dora. While I'd never been a big fan of the government, I had to concede that it probably did not covertly pop caps on American soil without a pretty good reason. On the other hand, a good reason in their estimation might be something like Dora having recognized some fellow drag queen as a senator. He wasn't swarthy enough or Irish enough to be a terrorist. What would his cause be? Free Tammy Faye Baker? In between these speculations, I kept doing the math. I'd helped Dora, then Dora had helped me. The books balanced— I owed him nothing. If anything, he owed me for clothes and sandals. I didn't have to do this. After a while, they took the last turn. From there, it was a straight one-block shot to the schooner, with almost no cover along the way. If one of them even glanced over his shoulder, he could hardly miss me. So I hung back waiting to make the turn until they'd had time to at least build up a little more of a lead. Finally, I judged there was enough distance between us that if they did glance back, they might not necessarily recognize me. I was dressed differently than I had been at our last encounter. At the last moment, I had a rush of brains to the head and adjusted my walk to be almost as exaggeratedly feminine as Dora's. "'They'd never suspect it was me. "'I was congratulating myself on my sagacity "'when I turned the corner and crashed head-on into Dora, "'coming the other way. "'It took several confused seconds for Dora to convince me "'he hadn't seen the feds, "'and for me to convince him that one minute ago "'they'd been no more than a block behind her. "'Then we stood there together, and looked up and down that street for anywhere they could reasonably have gone. After a while, Dora shrugged and gave up. They beamed up, he said, and dismissed the matter. Some people can do that. I sometimes wish I were one of them. When I don't understand something, I can't dismiss it, any more than I can ignore a stone in my shoe." I was convinced the two shooters were concealed in some cunning blind, and any second they were going to get good and ready and drop us both. But what could I do about it? The schooner was nearly deserted, down to a couple of hardcore regulars nursing the night's last cup of cheer. No sign of bad death anywhere. Inside the big old mahogany racetrack of a bar... Two tired young bartenders dressed like refugees had stopped serving and were into their clean up routines when we arrived, but Dora and I were both known there. The band shell stage was dark and empty, so was the kitchen and washrooms shack adjacent to the bar. We took our beers to a table between them and thus were mostly concealed from both the street and the marina. You're right, Dora said. I don't know your heart. So I have to ask again. Why did you take a chance and follow those two? Why did you warn me about them in the first place? I'd been asking myself that same question all night, and I had a pretty fair answer, but there was no way I was going to share it with him, no way in the world. I tried to think of anyone on the planet with whom I would share it, and failed. I thought of a great lie and decided I didn't much want to tell it. Look. Please, he said softly. To my astonishment, I heard myself tell him the truth. The only thing I hate worse than winter is cars, I told him. And the only thing I hate worse than cars is cars in winter. I hate them all the time, but especially on cold mornings. The goddamn things just never want to start when it's really cold, you know? He said nothing. So I had this old beater, a Dodge. For Detroit Iron, it wasn't bad. Slant six, not a lot of pickup, but hard to kill, easy to work on only in the winter it needed working on a lot. On really cold mornings, getting it to start could be a major pain in the ass that left you with grease and smelly starter fluid all over your frost-bitten, barked knuckles. Sometimes it wouldn't start. Once in a while you'd get desperate or clumsy from the cold and use a little too much fluid... And then there'd be a carburetor blowback that could perm your bangs and fry your eyebrows right off. He nodded. This was in Boston, I went on, where the mornings are only cold on days that end in Y. It was February, so by now I was thoroughly sick of coaxing that beast into life every morning. So this one morning, the goddamn thing wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't wake up and as I got out to wrestle with it, a big guy came walking by and asked if I needed help. It was so cold, you know. Anyway, I didn't even hesitate. I took a deep breath and a deep gulp of beer. I stuck out my tits and batted my eyelashes and showed him all my teeth and lied. Yes, I said, I sure did need help. And really, you just wanted it. I never do that kind of shit, you know? I looked up from my hands to meet his eyes pleadingly. Not since high school, anyway. But it was so fucking cold. Sure. I mean, I wasn't proud of doing it. But there was at least a little bit of pride in how well I was doing it, after all that time out of practice. By sheer body language, I pretty much forced him to say, Why don't you go back inside and stay warm, and I'll take care of everything, little lady. So, the only actual injury I sustained, except for the temporary blindness from the flash, was one of his teeth that came through the living room window and buried itself half an inch deep in the meat of my shoulder. It got infected real bad. "'My God,' Dora said, wide-eyed. "'It was one of the bigger pieces of him they recovered, actually. "'Half a scapula, two lawns down. "'That was another one. "'I went to reach for my beer, "'but found my hands were full of Dora's. "'He was a sweet guy, "'who just wanted to fantasize about fucking me "'and was willing to pay for the privilege.' and I got him turned into aerosol tomato paste. How? I had ignored one of the basic rules of lesbianism. Never seduce a capo's daughter. He raised one exquisite eyebrow. Oh, dear. For fairly obvious reasons, Adriana hadn't gotten around to mentioning what her father did for a living, but somebody else had discreetly tipped me off, after it was too late. It excited me. I had the charming idea that as long as nobody knew about me and Adriana but Adriana, I was safe. I realized how hard I was gripping his hands and eased off marveling that he had betrayed no sign of pain. So, after my car was blown up, I handed Adriana in, and in exchange I got a new name, new street, city, and state address, new appearance, new history, and new occupation. I used to paint, but you can't be a fugitive painter. Thank God for folk music. A chimp could learn it, and there are customers in every hamlet. He put my right hand on my beer bottle and let go. I took a long sip. Now I don't own a car, and I live in a place where nobody but tourists and fools own a car, and the bicycle is king. A place where there are never, ever any cold mornings. A place with no local mob... So cheesy and sleazy, no self-respecting maid guy would bring his gumar here on vacation. Ennsville. I haven't been as far north as Key Largo in ten years. Haven't left the rock in five. I'm a human black hole. So far up my own ass, daylight can't reach me. An ingrown toenail of a person. Damn one more sip and that beer would be gone. And the two youngsters behind the bar had just put out the last of the fake hurricane lamps and gone off home. So your question was, why did I hang my ass out in the breeze to help a stranger wearing false tits? And the answer is, I guess because I know a little something about being hunted. Every once in a while... Just on general principles, those cocky, remorseless sons of bitches ought to get a big, unpleasant surprise. I belched and frowned. And maybe I've been safe a little too long. And don't feel like you deserve to be? To this day, I don't know anything about him. Not his name, or address, or where he was headed that morning, or whether or not he left behind a family. Silch. Once I stopped being too terrified to give a shit, stopped running long enough to wonder, I could have found out without drawing attention. I've never even tried. What the hell do you suppose could have happened to those two fetishware feds? Forget it, said Dora. I nearly did as he said. But then, for no reason I can explain, an odd little thought train went through my head. One of those brain-fission deals, where several seconds' worth of thought somehow take place in a split second. Neither of those feds could possibly have concealed a long gun under that tight leather. So, so where did they have their rifle stashed? In a car, obviously, parked in back where the light is poorest. The first shot came as you went out the back door. Okay, so if they had wheels, how come they were both tailing Dora on foot just now? Hell, you can't tail a pedestrian in a car without being spotted. Fine, but wouldn't one of them at least follow in the car staying well back? Say they bagged Dora. Were they going to carry him back through the streets to their ride? In Key West, I'd be taking a big chance, even at this hour. What's your point? I don't think they have wheels. Well, so what? I don't think they have rifles either. Or else why leave them behind now? One last time. So what? So who did shoot at us with a rifle? Oh, shit. And where? That's as far as I'd gotten when I heard the floorboard creak up on the stage. I've played on that stage. I know exactly where that goddamn creaky board is and I realized instantly that a man standing there would have a clear shot at both of us. "'Dora, run!' I cried, and kicked my chair over backward, trying to move away from him. The shooter came into view out of the darkness, and apparently let his instincts tell him to choose the larger target first. The rifle barrel settled on Dora. Now I wanted to be going in that direction, to take the bullet— and it was like one of those nightmares where you're trying to do a 180 but can't seem to overcome inertia and get moving the right way. Time slowed drastically. The shooter was definitely not one of the feds. Way shorter than either, with hair longer than Dora's wig. A gentle breeze brought scents of lime and coral. Somewhere far above there was a small plane. Like a million gunshot victims before him, Dora flung his hand up in front of his face in a useless, instinctive attempt to catch the bullet. A distant dog barked. The shooter fired. Sound no louder than a nail gun. Dora caught the bullet. Don't do that again, he said to the shooter. Then nobody said or did anything for several long seconds. The shooter shook his head once, moved the barrel in a small circle, took careful aim, and fired again. Dora caught that slug, too. "'I warned you,' he said sadly. The shooter apparently decided that if Dora declined to die, maybe I'd be more cooperative. "'He was right, I would,' I was too terrified even to put my hand up in front of my face. I saw the barrel lock on me, saw the shooter's face past it. I could even see him let out his breath and hold it. Then he squealed, because the rifle was somehow molten, dripping like so much glowing lava from his hands. They burst into flame, and the one near his cheek set his hair on fire. He drew in a deep breath to scream— but before he could, he began to vibrate. Ever see one of those machines in a hardware store shake up a can of paint? Like that. In less than a second, he began to blur. In three, he was gone. Just gone. So were the hot coals on the stage. Not even a bad smell left behind myself and I conferred and decided that this would be a good time for me to fall down. To help, I became unconscious. When I opened my eyes, I was at Mallory Square, sitting up against a trash can, staring out across a few hundred yards of dark, slow water at Tank Island. I have absolutely no idea how I got there, or why. The breeze was from the south, salty and sultry. Clouds hid the moon. "'I called my equivalent of the AAA a couple of years ago,' Dora said softly from behind me and to my right. "'My tow truck should be here in only another day or two, and then I'll be leaving this charming star system behind forever.' so I feel kind of bad about the two FBI agents. Hunting me was just their job. And from your point of view, hunting me is the sensible thing to do. Somehow I was past being astonished. I'd worked it out while I was unconscious, watched all the inexplicable little pieces assemble themselves into an inescapable pattern, and accepted it. I've never had much success identifying with any kind of hunter at all, I said. And you need to identify with someone before you can empathize with them? Well, yeah, at least a little, I said defensively. I mean, I can identify with you. And for all I know, you're not even carbon-based. Hell, you're my imaginary role model. The stranger in a strange land. Brilliant being a drag queen, by the way. If anybody spots a flaw in your disguise, it just makes them condescending. You should do what I'm doing. What do you mean? Pretend to be human? Go femme? Kill hitmen? Catch. P- Go home. Now I was astonished. I sat up and swiveled to face him. What the hell are you talking about? You know I... He sat cross-legged, staring up at the night sky. At the stars. Okay, maybe not home, but get out of Key West. I looked away. Dora, I can't. Listen to me, he said. Pat, will you listen? I'll listen. I've been in America a lot more recently than you have. A lot of things have changed the last ten or fifteen years. Nothing really important. Cars have changed since you lived there. They all start on cold mornings now bullshit. I swear it's true. Nobody recognizes anything under the hood anymore. But nobody cares because they don't need to. I searched his face. Are you serious? Nobody carries jumper cables anymore, and the capo is not going to send a second mechanic after you. Not after this one just vanishes without a trace. Not for a purely personal beef. You can go home any time you want to, Pat. Away from here, anyway. My head was spinning. The concept of being able to be once again what Larry McMurtry calls a live human being, free on the Earth, was way more mind-boggling than dodging certain death or meeting a spaceman. My mother was still alive, last I'd heard. Maybe I could find out the name of the man I'd gotten killed. Maybe he'd left family behind. Maybe there was something I could do for them. Suddenly the universe was nothing but questions. I grabbed one out of the air. I'm throwing your own question back at you, I said. Why did you do this? Why did you kill two men to keep them from blowing your cover? And then, five minutes later, kill another one in front of me and blow your cover? Absurdly, I felt myself getting angry. Why did I wake up just now? Now you've got to walk around your last few days here wondering how badly I want to be on TV. Whatever would you take such a risk for? How the hell can you identify with any human well enough to empathize much less a dike. The clouds picked that moment to let the moonlight through. I'd seen him grimace, and I'd seen him grin. This was the first time I'd seen him smile. And it was so beautiful my breath caught in my throat. I've painted it several times without ever really capturing it. You really don't know my heart, he said. It has five chambers, for one thing. Then he was gone, like the Cheshire Cat. I never saw him again. And now, every night after I get my mother to sleep and climb into my own bed to snuggle under the covers with my dear partner... I pray to God that Dora got home safely, to his own home and loved ones. I empathise. Like the song says, he waited so long to remember what it's like to feel somebody's arms around his life.
4: There you go, Dumaguette. Copyright is Spider. Spider, thank you so much for that. Oh, man, man, man. You know what I mean? I don't want to hug you now because I'm full of cold, but by God, I could. Thank you so much. And Veronica. Oh, my. Nailed it. Nailed it indeed. So that is today's show. Like I say, I'm not firing all, so forgive me for that. I'm a little bit kind of down under the weather there. A little bit grumpy. A little bit. <laughs> I want some love and attention. So tomorrow, like I say, and it kicks off at. Nine o'clock New York time to interview Amy. So if you're around there, it's two o'clock UK time, two PM. If you're around and you're on Discord, pop in and it goes without saying, join up, you know what I mean? Join up and have a listen and ask Amy a question. She's been doing this as as long as me, you know what I mean? So there you go. And I kinda wanna just dig into Amy's life as well, you know what I mean, just to find out a little bit more about Amy. So and look out for Starship Echoes coming Friday, and then every beginning of every month after that as well. And apologies if it, you know, <laughs> and next week. So that's it. I'm trying to think. I just want to, my head's thumping here until next week. Just let's hear good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by
0: the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. to Rocket ships, I need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there, I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there.